is a place of many contrasts, geographically, economically, culturally, and financially. While the continent is home to some of the poorest countries in the world, it's also home to some of the world's fastest growing economies, thriving financial ecosystems, and world-beating digital innovation. And while financial inclusion for the continent as a whole remains amongst the lowest in the world, this headline figure overlooks the staggering advances that have been made over the past 20 years. Many of these advances have been made possible by digital technologies, such as mobile phones, digital-only banking, and cryptocurrencies, which have enabled many countries around the continent to make rapid progress by leapfrogging legacy technologies and systems used elsewhere. Welcome to Africa's Digital Financial Journey, a podcast series that discusses the amazing changes underway across the continent's financial services sector and how technology is being used to widen and deepen financial inclusion from Cairo to the Cape. I'm John Ebrington, Middle East and Africa editor at The Banker magazine. In this episode, I'll be looking at how digital financial services have helped increase financial inclusion among Africa's women over the past 10 years. I'll be asking why the gender gap in financial inclusion is still so high and what can be done to increase women's access to mobile and traditional financial services. For the first half of this podcast, I recently spoke with Leora Clapper, a lead economist in the Development Research Group at the World Bank, to understand how financial inclusion has expanded across Africa among both men and women in the past decade and what some of the main barriers are to financial services across the continent. Leora is one of the founders of the World Bank's Global Findex database, which has tracked the evolution of financial inclusion around the world since 2011. For the second half, I discussed how international agencies are working with governments and the private sector to overcome barriers to increase financial inclusion for women with Chloe Guéguin, a digital finance specialist with the World Food Programme who's currently based in Senegal. I began my interview with the World Bank's Leora Clapper by asking how financial inclusion has increased worldwide for both men and women since the first Findex survey in 2011. So for the past decade, we've asked over half a million adults around the world how they save, borrow, make payments, and manage their financial risks. So we find that personal ownership of accounts has grown to 76% of adults globally, compared to just 51% a decade ago. That leaves about 1.4 billion adults worldwide who are still without an account. Um, and it's important to note that Findex defines an account as any deposit account at a bank or other regulated financial institution as well as mobile money accounts, which are provided by telecoms and fintechs. The latter have driven a growth account ownership um, and digital payments and savings throughout Sub-Saharan Africa and some other markets like Bangladesh, Myanmar, and Paraguay. And so the gender gap in financial service account ownership and usage has significantly narrowed over the past 10 years. So across developing countries on average, 68% of women have an account compared to 74% of men. So this is a gender gap of six percentage points, an improvement from where it hovered for years at nine percentage points. And the gap can vary significantly by country. Uh, so for example, in Algeria, Nigeria, and Turkey, men are still more than 20 percentage points more likely than women to have an account. The global pandemic, of course, prompted a surge in the use of digital financial services from early 2020 onwards. What have been some of the main findings in the most recent Findex survey about this phenomenon? So we all heard during the first year of the pandemic about the ways in which digital technologies 
enabled people in wealthier countries to pivot to hybrid work and leverage digital channels to conduct everyday businesses. Um, you know, for example, by ordering groceries or curbside delivery. And in developing countries, social distancing and mobility restrictions, along with the perception that cash is unsanitary, accelerated the shift towards digitalizing payments to merchants and utility providers, for example. So for example, over half of all adults in Sub-Saharan Africa report sending or receiving a domestic remittance payment. So for example, from a child living in the city back to the rural village. Um, and almost 70% of domestic remittances are now sent via an account, primarily mobile money account. This includes over 60% of adults in Ghana who send or receive remittances using their phone. And so globally, we find that about 20% of adults made a digital merchant payment using their phone or a card. And 40% of them made their first digital merchant payment during the pandemic. And importantly, it's more than just a convenience since merchants who are paid digitally can then build a payment history used by lenders and fintechs to extend credit based on their payment flows. And the biggest growth in digital merchant payments was in Latin America, for example, uh, where 15% of all adults made their first digital merchant payment during the pandemic. But we did see some growth even in more nascent markets like Morocco, where half of the adults who made a digital merchant payment did so for the first time since the pandemic. And we also saw growth in the uh, need for users to receive payments. So for example, in some places, governments digitize COVID-19 support payments to more quickly and efficiently get money to people who are in need. So as a case in point, the government of Togo built and launched a digital payment platform in just 10 days for direct cash transfers, allowing beneficiaries to enroll and receive payments within two minutes using only a basic mobile phone. We also saw private employers digitizing salary payments to workers, it's became dangerous for workers to stand in line to receive their wages. So the digitization of government and private sector wage payments has had an additional effect of driving millions of new account openings. So for example, in Bangladesh, more than 2 million garment workers opened new financial accounts, mostly on their phones, to receive uh, their wages. You said earlier that the global gender gap has closed significantly in the past four years. What have been some of the biggest contributing factors to this? So a few things have contributed to narrowing the gap. One, in India, in leveraging their biometric Aadhaar numbers, introduced the JDY account, public, uh, through a government policy, introduced JDY accounts, a no-fee simple account. I simply rolled through the country, opened over 300 million accounts in a month, and in 2021, narrowed their gender gap to zero. Um, the second reason over the pre last round of data might have been driven by the increase in the digitization of government transfer payments, which often targeted mothers. Turning now to Africa, what kind of increase have we seen in financial inclusion in the past 10 years in sub-Saharan Africa? And what is the state of the gender gap on the continent at the moment in both sub-Saharan Africa and North Africa? So in sub-Saharan Africa, we saw a massive increase in account ownership over the past decade. With the introduction and adoption of mobile money accounts, account ownership increased from just 23% in 2011 to 55% in 2021. In the last four years alone, the region saw an account ownership increase of 12 percentage points. Yet that increase in account ownership has not always resulted in equitable access. In fact, across Sub-Saharan Africa, there's been an increase in the gender gap to 12 percentage points in 2021 from five percentage points in 2011. So one reason is that some countries saw more rapid adoption of technology-enabled accounts by men. And this is especially true in countries where women are less likely than men to have their own mobile phone, which is a necessary condition to open a mobile money account. A second reason is a disproportionate growth for men since the beginning of the pandemic, perhaps because men were more likely to get household relief payments 
or need an account to operate uh, their businesses. A third reason for the persistently large gender gap is that the region is disproportionate population impact of Nigeria, which in 2021 did not have the regulations supporting mobile money accounts. Limiting access to more affordable and convenient accounts is very much an outlier in the continent. This has particular impact on women since they are adopting mobile money at equal rates uh, to men in many of the countries even in countries with wide overall account um, access gender gaps. And the reasons for this is many. I mean, we know that for the women often have mobility restrictions and makes it harder because of family obligations, social norms to travel to the city to access financial services. The mobile men agents who are in their local village are easier to access. In addition, you often hear that women are intimidated, don't feel comfortable going to a bank, speaking to a bank agent, but might be more comfortable um, doing financial transactions with someone she knows uh, in her village. So I can give three case studies to illustrate the points. Um, in Uganda, account ownership increased by seven percentage points to reach 66% of adults in 2021. In that same period, the gender gap in Uganda declined to just two percentage points from 13 percentage points. So you saw the disproportionate growth uh, in account ownership by women. In Mali, account ownership increased by eight percentage points from 2017 to 2021. And again, gender gap decreased from 20 percentage points to five percentage points, a drop of 75%. Um, and South Africa is another example that saw a growth of 16 percentage points in account ownership over the pandemic for both men and women, driven in part by digitalization of government and private wage payments. And so you know, both men and women adopted uh, these accounts in equal numbers. In contrast, Cote d'Ivoire, Tanzania, and Ghana also, the gender gaps increase uh, since 2017. I'll also mention that North Africa paints a very different picture with account ownership driven by banks and microfinance institutions, including card-based bank accounts. Um, account ownership in North Africa has been flat, with the exception of Morocco, where 44% of adults have an account, a 16 percentage point increase from 2017. Both women and men in Morocco access new accounts, although a 23 percentage point gender gap in Morocco still remains. Uh, the gender gap in Algeria and Tunisia remains stagnant since 2017 at 26 and 16 percentage points, respectively. As you've just mentioned, there's a huge variance in the financial inclusion gender gap across Africa, often in the same sub-region. Has your research uncovered any general reasons why women aren't able to access financial services to the same degree men are across the continent? So a special feature of index data is that we can ask the unbanked why they don't have an account. And only a very small percentage of the unbanked, including women, say that they don't need one. It really points to a massive unmet demand for financial services, especially among unbanked women. Um, instead, it's far more common for unbanked both men and women to say they don't have an account because financial institutions are too far away or important that they're too expensive. And the takeaway is that offering good, affordable products that especially women can access locally often does result in increased account adoption. The one uh, reason for not having an account where we do see a significant gender difference is the, the response, I use somebody else's account. And so especially in markets where bank accounts are very expensive, we see women using other family members' accounts, but then they lose the benefits of having their own account. And another reason related to social norms, tangentially, is the importance of having your own mobile phone. And so, you know, mobile technology represents the opportunity to drive more equitable access to financial services. And ensuring that it reaches women requires not only support of social norms, but also regulators, advocates, and financial providers 
to address the equitable access women have to the enabling infrastructure, such as telephone networks. There's a disparity in sub-Saharan Africa, so there's an 11 percentage point gender gap in mobile phone ownership. So 80% of men have a phone compared with 69% of women. For example, in Nigeria, women are 15 percentage points less likely than men to have a mobile phone. Benin, Burkina Faso, Malawi, Egypt, or other countries which report significant gender gaps in mobile phone ownership. And so with improved access to mobile phones, women would not only have an additional option for accessing financial services, but also be in a better position to receive remittances, for example, which is an important revenue source in low and middle income countries. Another really important barrier more, most commonly found in Sub-Saharan Africa is access to national ID, especially digital ID. And so governments can help close the mobile phone gender gap by increasing women's access to a national identification document, which is typically a requirement for obtaining interestingly both financial but also mobile phone services. Typically, a national ID is required to access a SIMS card, which is necessary for a mobile money account. So globally, we find that one in five unbanked women say a lack of ID is a key barrier to opening an account. In Algeria, more than 40% of unbanked adults including 43% of unbanked women, cite the lack of ID as a barrier to financial institution account ownership. So we see in Mozambique, South Sudan, Tanzania, about 60% of Mozambique, about 80% of unbanked in South Sudan, and 50% of unbanked adults in Tanzania don't have an ID. And so governments can act to remove the barriers to women accessing formal identification, which include requiring married women to provide documentation of their husband's name as well as their own, removing birth registration fees, leveraging agent networks to reach women, creating female-friendly registration sites, and using digital options to make it easier for women to get birth certificates and passports. And these are all proven effective ways to increase access to ID. I would lastly add, you know, related again to social, perhaps the social norms, is it's critical to build digital and financial literacy for women. So we ask adults in Sub-Saharan Africa if they can use their mobile money accounts on their own without help from a family member or an agent, which might increase the risk of financial fraud and abuse. So a third of adults in Sub-Saharan Africa say that they need help using their mobile money account, with women five percentage points more likely to say that they can't use a mobile money account without any help. And that gap is larger in some economies. So women are 11 percentage points more likely to need help in Mali, 16 percentage points more likely in Zambia. And it's also related to need for strong and enforced consumer protection frameworks. So in Algeria and Egypt, about two in three unbanked adults report needing help to operate a financial institution account if they opened one. And so in all instances, unbanked women are more likely to report needing help to operate both financial institution and mobile money accounts uh, than men. So the recommendation is the importance of appropriate product design and ongoing support to make sure that women understand the digital financial products that they're using. So women should be comfortable as well working with bank and mobile money agents by themselves, which also points to the importance of hiring more women as agents and other client-facing jobs. And so developing these financial products and usage options that women can safely and confidently use on their own is key to narrowing the gap. Leora, we've touched on the greater adoption of mobile money accounts across Africa and talked about the rise of payments and remittances in particular. How has the digital mobile money phenomenon impacted people's savings habits and particularly those of women on the continent? So it's actually what I think is the most exciting story from the 2021 data. And so formal savings has increased in sub-Saharan Africa driven by mobile money accounts. And this is surprising since mobile money was created to help people send money around. 
But earlier rounds of uh, the FINDEX data found that Africans, especially women, were saving all sorts of expensive and less safe ways, like SUSUs, who collect a dollar a day from women and charge a day saving at the end of the month. In 2021, we found that about half of all adults in Sub-Saharan Africa save, and about a quarter of all adults, nearly half of savers, were saving in a formal account, including 15% of adults who saved using a mobile money account. So in Ghana, Kenya, Uganda, Zambia, almost 40% of all women were formally saving, and 15% of women saved using their mobile money account. And research shows that this has a tremendous effect on families' financial resilience. Plus, giving women a safe place to keep her money outside the home gives the woman greater security, privacy, and control over her money, and is shown to lead to greater household spending on education, healthcare, um, nutritious food. And most of this growth in mobile money savings appears to have come from savers who are migrating their savings from various informal community savings groups or simply saving in the home under their mattress. That's great. Leora Clapper, thank you very much for joining us on Africa's Digital Financial Journey. Thank you. To discuss what's being done to boost financial inclusion among African women, I recently spoke with Chloe Gegin at the World Food Programme. Now based in Senegal, Chloe has spent a number of years in various parts of Africa championing the cause of creating equal access to digital financial services among women and men. I began our conversation by asking what are the largest obstacles facing women in Africa when it comes to accessing financial services? Of course, there are many barriers that prevent women to access, uh, use and fully benefit from digital financial services, including mobile money. In general, I would say, John, that these barriers are quite similar between men and women, but what we see is that women tend to be even more impacted by these barriers. So I would, say, uh, I would mention a few. So I would say that uh, the lack of regular cash inflows is definitely a barrier for women, but also lower access to identity documents and mobile phones, as well as lower levels of the all of digital and financial literacy. Distance to brand branches, uh, so either bank branches or mobile money agent kiosk is a challenge, particularly in rural and remote areas. And we know that women also tend to have more, to face more mobility constraints. Um, last but not least, the limited perceived uh, relevance of and utility actually of financial services to meet women's real needs, including to, to meet their needs related to food security, but also to build their resilience to shocks or to pay for the education of the kids, for instance. So I think the, the FINDEX uh, really showed that, the latest FINDEX really showed that although there's been an increase in, in, in account ownership and usage of accounts, we see that about half of the adult population said they were, they were not able to face unexpected expenses in, in time of uh, emergency. So that's really a challenge. Beyond the factors that you've just mentioned, are there cultural and social factors that are an impediment to access to financial services for women? Or are the barriers mostly practical and financial, would you say? No, that's definitely the case. I would say overall gendered social norms are a reality that's shaping the life of uh, women around the world and including in, in the Africa region. Um, to advance women's financial inclusion and economic empowerment, we really need to first acknowledge uh, gender norms and understand how social cultural norms limit uh, women's ability to access, to use, and to benefit from financial services. 
at, at WSP, we really, the World Food Programme, we really try as much as we can to design programs with intentionality so that we really understand what are the cultural norms in, in the specific context we operate and how can we design our program accordingly to navigate with these social norms. There are different types of social norms, including financial social norms. So, for instance, who is in charge of bringing money home? Uh, it, it really depends on, on countries. Like I was recently, uh, I mean, I live in Senegal, of, as you know, and, and when I went to the field there, I, it really surprised me that culturally it is expected that men are in charge to bring money back home. Then I went to Cote d'Ivoire, it's actually different. Their women are accountable for all the family expenses. So really it depends from one country to, to the other. When we speak about cultural norms, there are norms related to digital access. So who is allowed to have a, a mobile phone? Is it acceptable for a woman to have a mobile phone? So it really depends from country to country. But I would say that in general, uh, and, and the latest uh, GSMA reports also show that women tend to have less autonomy in paying for and selecting their phone, for instance. You have some norms related to mobility as well. And also, and this is something we really see that we're struggling with as well as, as a humanitarian organization is, in general, in many countries, uh, men tend to be seen as the head of the household. Also, sometimes the legislative framework is, is, uh, is reinforcing such social norms, for instance, in I'm thinking in, in, in Somalia or in other countries, like by law, uh, men are designated as the head of households. These have uh, consequences then when we look at financial inclusion, because in, in, and, and when we look at also as part of our program, when we disperse money transfer, humanitarian money transfer, we generally disperse this transfer to the head of households. So if by law or by default, because of social norm, the head of the household is the man, then we have the risk of excluding women. So within the World Food Programme, we, we really focus now at, in prioritizing women as the main, main recipient of humanitarian payments, even in male-headed households. So that's really a global and strategic priority to really drive women's financial inclusion through humanitarian, humanitarian payments. Given the priority on women when it comes to humanitarian payments, how do you operate in societies where men have traditionally handled household finances? We pay very strong attention to making sure that we do protect more than, uh, than creating harm, of course. And the way we do that, we always really engage with men also in the community. We do a lot of communication and sensitization on the importance of including women and prioritizing women as, as recipient of the humanitarian transfer. Just to give you some example, in Uganda, for instance, the World Food Programme really engaged male champions as agents of change, really to be the key advocate to advance women's economic empowerment and women's access to financial services. So there we identified slightly more than 40 men across different age who became champion, uh, digital financial inclusion champion. And they, they had a role in not only empowering their partner in their own household, but also in influencing other men across different age groups to embrace supporting their female partners uh, on their that's a digital financial inclusion journey. So really, it's all about uh, ensuring this proper communication and, and, and working with communities uh, on this topic. Having made that decision to prioritise women, what's the process for equipping them with digital financial capabilities to receive such payments? 
So I would say the lack of ID is the main issue. Then lack of SIM cards. In some countries like Somalia, we work and we assist the government of Somalia as part of the social state safety net program, which is Kobarnano. It's a shock, shock responsive safety net program funded by the World Bank. And there we supported more than 200,000 women to open their mobile money account for the first time. One of the issues we faced, they didn't have a SIM card. So there we, we provided, together with the, the main mobile operator, their free SIM cards. We also helped them to in, increase their, their skills and their understanding of what mobile money is. So we worked there and we're testing actually uh, with the GSMA um, a capacity building training uh, program uh, called MIST to really help women gain greater confidence in, in how to use mobile money and how to use services in a safe manner. Phone ownership is a difficult barrier <laughs> uh, because it requires uh, working with the, of course, with, with the private sector, find, let's say, more affordable solution for women to access the phone. But in general, we see that across households tend to have at least one handset in the in the family but i agree with, yes it is definitely a, a difficult barrier to address and one we, we need to work on further in the in the coming years uh, i guess when i talked with the world bank's lira clapper a little earlier she mentioned the importance of helping increase women's digital and financial literacy skills and i know that this is something you're very involved with it'd be very interesting to hear about some of the initiatives you've worked with to help increase such skills we, I, I would tell you what we're testing at the moment. Maybe it's a bit too early to say what works the best or not. Or not. But may I will share a few examples and, and different approaches we are we're testing at the moment to build uh, women's skills and, and confidence. So one example is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, in Somalia. So the, the World Food Programme is, is supporting the, the ministry there of, to build the digital and financial skills of about 200 thousand women. There we work with the, the GSMA to introduce what's called the mobile internet skills training toolkit. And it's a very innovative approach where we work with agents so of, of different of the mobile operator there. So for instance, we work with the agent of Telesom uh, and of Mood there who play a role in then educating women in their communities. So here we really recognize the role that cash in, cash out, mobile money agent can play in educating their customers on how to use mobile money, how to use their mobile phone, because it all starts from using a mobile phone, and, and how to use it safely. Another example in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where I was there a few months ago, there the, the World Food Programme is testing innovative approach to sensitize households on mobile money via, via community radio or, or via comics as well. So their WFP support the, the ministry as part of uh, one of their, the first um, urban safety net program it's in Nzele in together with uh, other agencies such as UNICEF and including the World Bank as well. And there we we worked also with Vodacom to, to roll out mo mobile money ambassadors. And there, basically, we identified with partners and trained about 120 mobile money ambassadors who will then train their communities and, and really build on this element of trust within the community. So that's another approach we're, we're testing. We also work there, sorry, in, in, the, in DRC, but as well in other countries, we work very closely with, with village staging and loan associations who tend to be uh, where we, that women often join. 
to really use these informal savings groups uh, as an entry point to share more learning and share more uh, and, and build uh, people's skills and confidence in mobile money. A last example and, and one that I'm particularly excited about is uh, in, in Uganda and Ghana as well. Uh, the World Food Programme worked with the Strategic Impact Advisors and they, their program called Hey Sister, Show Me the Mobile Money. And there, this program, we use uh, what's called interactive voice recognition and also community peer-to-peer -peer learning to really increase women's skills and confidence when using mobile money. So it's, it's an, an innovative way of using technology to reach communities. We are at the moment also rolling out this program together with, uh, with CIA, the Strategic Impact Advisor in Ghana. And in Ghana, we, we work with the, um, the Ministry of Gender and children and social protection to to support their leap program it's it's really the national social protection program reaching about 350,000 households and there we help through this through the hey sister show me the mobile money we we help increase women's skills and 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 confidence in mobile money whenever we talk about the success of digital financial services in africa in particular, it's crucial to remember the role of agent networks in helping services spread, particularly in more rural areas of the continent. But it strikes me that there may be cultural and security issues for women interacting with male agents. What would you say? Absolutely. And I'm glad you bring that, that point, John. Um, so I'm going to give you again an example here from the ground. So in Uganda, the World Program did a study in the settlements, refugee settlements, and there we observed that most of the mobile money agents in the in the Naki Valley settlements were men, and the re the research also showed that uh, women women in communities, particularly among the the Somali refugee communities, preferred uh, to interact with other women, not men. So, based on these findings, the World Food Program worked hard to identify and train female agents and merchants within the refugee settlements. In parallel, we also advocated with the Central Bank of Uganda to lower know your, what's called know your agent uh, requirements for mobile money agent re registration. So, really, here the idea was to help women and to ease requirements to become agents because sometimes these requirements can, can prove quite uh, strict in terms of, as mentioned earlier, identification document, but also collateral requirements. So we really worked hand in hand uh, with other humanitarian agencies, but also with the central bank uh, to, to lower this K KYA, uh, know your agent requirements. Chloe, thank you very much indeed for joining us on Africa's digital financial journey. Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to our next discussion on that topic. Thank you for listening to Africa's Digital Financial Journey, a monthly podcast from The Banker magazine. If you're hungry for more, you can check out articles on subjects including the increasing use of blockchain technology by African farmers and the continent's climate change investment challenge on thebanker.com. You can listen to this and other episodes in this podcast series on thebanker.com, Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you access your podcasts. If you have any questions or comments about what you've heard, or if you'd like to help me narrate Africa's digital financial journey, do get in touch at john.everington at ft.com.